There's a gospel of men and there's a gospel of Jesus Christ. The whole idea behind the gospel of men is that if we could just treat the outside, if we could just treat these symptoms, then that will change humanity, right? But here's the thing. Those gospels treat an outside symptom of an inward problem that could only be changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the difference. And that is why the church is not simply a, it's not simply a nonprofit to help people. The church is a Christ-centered entity that at its core preaches the gospel because nothing else will change a life like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. to be starting a three-week series called Missio Christi, Missio Christi, and tonight is the first installment of that, and it comes from the Bible. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and Jesus, we pray, God, that you would be glorified in our life. God, we pray that Again, you would refocus our minds and our attention on what you have done for us. Lord, the way that you have sought after us, you found us, you laid hold of us, and God, you saved us. And Lord, we pray that we would catch vision for what you now send us into the world to do. And Jesus, that you would transform our community, beginning right here in this room, that you begin to transform our hearts as we turn towards you, as we glorify you. And um, Lord, that would begin something in in this little town, in this little community. And and so Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, that you allow us to be a part of your work and be a part of, of your family. And so Lord, we pray that you would teach us in the power of the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, like I said, we are starting this uh, this study called Missio Christi, and that is just a way cooler way of saying the mission of Christ. It's Latin. Um, I tried German. It just didn't make any sense. So we're trying Latin, Missio Christi. It means the mission of Christ. Uh, it comes from John chapter 20, verse 21, that says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus was sent with a mission to be carried out. There was a purpose in his coming. And for the next three weeks, we're going to be studying what it means to be sent by Jesus in the same way that he sent us, or in the same way that the Father sent him. And I believe the goal of this is for us to recapture these last few years of mayhem and chaos. And we still have been sent on mission. Like Christ has saved us and blessed us. But there's more to the story than just obtaining that fire insurance. That yeah, we're not going to hell, but there's more to it. And again, we want to be freed up. I hope through this you are freed up to live on mission and in motion in our immediate world that you are in. We want to live purposefully about the purposes of God. 
Because mission is not just something that people go and do. Yes, we are taking a Mexico missions trip, but we are called to live on mission. So, so often that word is tied up in leaving and going, right? That's what our missionaries do over there, but we over here do the normal life thing, but they're living with this intentionality of mission, and that's what they do. But the Bible is clear that we are called to be and to live on mission and in motion according to what Jesus has done in our life. And so we want to drop the S off of missions and just keep it mission. Anyway, but we are sent on mission, equipped with the word of God and the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. So for the next few weeks, we're going to look at some instances in the life of Jesus. After all, after all, he is our example and the model for us and the method of living for us. This is the method for our life. This is the, the mold or the model in which we shape and, and mold our life after as we look at the life of Jesus and we see that the Holy Spirit has empowered us and given us the freedom over sin. If you're a saved believer in this room, that Christ saved you, he, he sanctifies you, he, he, clear, he cleans you out. I mean, all sin, past, present, future is gone. You're forgiven. You're a new creation in Christ. He empowers you by his spirit to live a different kind of life. No longer dominated by the flesh, no longer driven by sin, but we are conquerors. The Bible says we are more than conquerors to those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is where we need to recapture the, the call that God has upon our life. In order for us to begin, we need to read this and read the Bible through the lens of a theocentric understanding of living according to mission, as opposed to an anthrocentric, meaning a man-centered. Theos or theocentric means God-centered. God-centered versus man-centered. We want to look at it not through an ecclesiocentric, meaning a church-centered lens, but in a God-centered mission call that we have upon our life. As opposed to a man-centered look, that mission is, is simply to solve the plight of man, right? When you look at it from a, a, a man-centered type look or a view, sometimes all we see is the church is simply as, as a mode in which we can do good things for people. Like, right, we want to be generous. There's food banks. There's all, do you know that libraries exist because of the church? Because the church believed that the gospel said that all people should have access to an education? Like, that's the church. They started that. Hospitals were started by the church. Because the, these Christians believe that the gospel tells us that all people are valuable and are deserving of care because Christ cares for them. Like that was started by the church. Because they looked at life through a Christocentric, a Christ-centered, theocentric, a God-centered lens in which we, us as the body, as the church, this is where we center our life in is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of that, every other action flows from this understanding that God has blessed me in order that I might be a blessing. After all, he did not come, Jesus did not come to simply solve the plight of man. Jesus came to save and to redeem. 
John 3.16 says, God is, is love, therefore he is a sending, hand-extending God. But not just God the Father, but as you look at the mission uh, that God has called us through, through God who is triune. As we look at, at the mission of God through all three persons of the Trinity, that God the Father sent God the Son, and by his death and resurrection sends his Holy Spirit, who then empowers us and sends us out. Like, you have to see the mission of God through all three lenses of the triune God. And I don't know about you, but that just popped my tiny, tiny little brain. When you start to talk about the Trinity of like, this is sin, and three, but they're one. Pops. Genesis 12 is where we first see an instance of God sending. Genesis chapter 12, if you will turn there. Keep your finger in John 4. I realized I didn't read a single verse in John 4, but we will in like five minutes. So keep your finger in John chapter 4. But Genesis chapter 12, we see the beginning of the nation of Israel. It says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is one of the first instances we see of God sending. We are blessed to be a blessing to others. Did you notice that? He said, Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to bless you. But it doesn't stop at you. It's going to be a blessing to all the nations. It, it, from your line is going to come, and from this nation is going to come the Messiah of the world. And through that, it's going to, be a, it's going to bring a blessing or bless those who otherwise would be outside of the family of God, that the gospel would be extended to any and to all who would call upon the name of Jesus in faith. Like, he says, it's, it's not just to pour out blessing upon you, but he's like, I, I'm going to bless everyone through you. And same as the mission of God, that God sends us, he blesses us, not that we would hold it to ourselves like some sick, twisted little people that hoard everything. Have you seen those, those people that just, they don't share? They, they're an only child. Maybe you're an only child. You just don't share. Like, I, I, my kids are, are very aware of the concept of sharing now, especially the three older ones. The youngest one has no concept of sharing, has no idea that she's not the center of the universe, except when I tell her, you are not the center of the universe. You're cute. You're gorgeous. You're beautiful. You're special. You're amazing. But you're not the center of the universe. Everyone needs to be told that. So maybe that's a word for someone here tonight. No. <laughs> But understand, like, it, starts, it started in the beginning that this was God's mission all along. Are we a clog in the system of blessing? Because if, if, if you are, then God is blessing and pouring out his blessing upon you, but it's stopping with you. God has not made us into a, a holding container in the sense that we simply are filled and filled and filled until we, we just simply can't be filled anymore. And God says, okay, you're stopped. That's where, what, is, what does the Bible tell us? That the Holy Spirit fills us to overflowing. Because we are vessels with the intention of being poured out by God. 
that we're not a sponge that only contains. It, we're, we're supposed to be wrung out and depleted. That God pours out his blessing so that we might be a blessing to others. So the church, when it does justice work, relief work, missions work, it is not simply to solve the plight of man or to simply solve the temporary issue at hand, although it might be dire and it might be horrible and it might be this wonderful opportunity. It is to be a bridge for the gospel of God. Because no matter how much you solve someone's immediate problem, the, the, the underlying thing, or not the underlying thing, the main objective of the mission of God is that there is a real hell and he does not want people to go there. And the main way in which the world experiences the manifest presence of the Spirit of God is through his church and through the message of the gospel. So it's not simply... For us to be good people. The Bible is not simply for us to be good people. I don't care if you're good. I do care. But that is not the main objective. Are you a saved person? Because there is no one, the Bible says, who is good. There's no one. Even if you're nice and moral, fantastic. If you don't know Jesus, hell is a real place. And without him, that's where you go. He died so that no one would have to go there. And listen, that is, that is what our agenda of the church, if you want to use that word that's been overused so much, I can't stand it anymore, but there's no other way to describe it. The church has an agenda, and that is to influence and subverse the works of darkness with the light of the gospel. And that is the mission of the church. And we are called to live into that mission. So the person in the work of Jesus Christ is at the center of the church. And Jesus continues his work by the sending forth of his spirit to his church. And tonight we're going to look at two aspects of this mission that God, that Jesus came on. And that is that Jesus came to seek and to save. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. When we use that word seek, it means something that is not readily accessible or attainable. That when Jesus came to seek out sinners to save them, it's not that they weren't readily accessible. It's not like he couldn't find them or get to them. It wasn't like he was looking around and being like, There's no sinners here. This is a weird place. Oh, man. That's supposed to be funnier. It wasn't. But it's not like he couldn't get to them. It's not like he was like, I, I just can't find any. What it meant was is there were barriers between them. And so he came to seek them. This is in John chapter 4 is where we're going to spend a little bit of time. This is the first time we see in the gospel of John, this is the first time we see Jesus seek after an individual. And it's not the individual that we would necessarily pick. Look what it says in John chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. 
And a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Maybe you've heard this story before, and you've, you've studied it. Maybe you were here when we went through the Gospel of John, and you're like, again, the Gospel of John. Yes, again. It's going to be all right. Verses 1 through 4, if, you, if we read that, and you, if you noticed that there's a key word there in verse 4, and it is the word needed. Needed. No Jew, practicing Jew, needed to go through Samaria. Any Orthodox male wasn't like, you know what, this is where I need to go. In fact, it was a place that they avoided at all costs. Uh, it was a place where the Jews would go around if necessary. And Jews would travel north and south all the time without ever stepping foot in Samaria. Like it separated these two places of Judea and Galilee, and they would cross through Samaria. But they would cross over into Jordan, go around so that the dust of the ground would not touch their feet. Because they had this horrible um, view of the Samaritan people. There was this clash between them, but, but here, I love that Jesus said he needed to go here, and here is the mention of the mission of God. That, that he needed to be there. Not according to what Jesus said, this is my will, but it was the will of the Father, and so he obeyed the will of the Father. You're going to go to Samaria. And there was a very specific time and a very specific woman that he wanted to speak with. But Jesus did. No Jew ever needed to go through Samaria, but Jesus did. In the history of the Jews and the Samaritans, it's a rocky one. Some 700 years before this, Israel was divided, Judah and Israel. The Assyrians came. They, they dominated the northern kingdom. They conquered it, and they were uh, unable to conquer Judah. But the way that the Assyrians would conquer a people was an interesting way. They would remove almost all the nationals, take them all to another region of, of the Assyrian kingdom, and then would move all different types of people from all over Assyrian empire into the land that they had conquered. And when they would come in and flood that area, they wouldn't come alone. They would come with their false gods. They would come with, with all these different religions. And so what would happen is they would begin to weed out any type of loyalty to that former culture, any type of loyalty to that former government by infiltrating it from the inside. They would intermarry. They would intermix. Suddenly they had this hybrid version of Judaism and paganism, and they got all mixed in. And the Jews that were not conquered looked down. Down as, as looked down at them as half-breeds and nothing. They would call them dogs. And there was this horrible tension, racial tension between them. They had no interest in leaving or occupying a land. They, they stayed there. And the Jews couldn't stand the Samaritans. Couldn't stand them. And this is a hatred that was so deep, they wouldn't even walk through that area because they didn't want the dust on them. Like, that's messed up. Like, even your dust is dirtier than most like that's that's a dis is dis still a word like that's messed up like your dirt is the dirtiest of all the dirt and I don't even want to touch the dirt like how messed up are you so there's religious tension there's racial tension and Jesus must needed in the King James if you have that Bible you may see it but you probably don't it says Jesus must needed go like that's 
You don't talk like that. I must need to go to Taco Bell. No one ever needs to do that. No one ever needs to do that. Unless it's Thursday, Thursday afternoon, then you must need to go to Taco Bell. But he takes his 12 disciples, 12 nationalists, with all the same prejudice of their countrymen. Why? Because Jesus is going to teach his disciples, and he's going to teach you and I that he is the Savior of the whole world and that he loves all mankind. Not only does it give us insight into the heart of God, but the mission of God. And Jesus was sent on a divine mission, and so are we. Look at what it says that Jesus began to speak with her. It it reveals to us the heart of God. What barriers did this woman have in her life? There was racial off the top, there was racial tension, and there was religious tension. Those were barriers in her life. Things that people would be like, ah, we can't talk to them because of these things. And Jesus came to break through those barriers. So we're not, we're not going to allow these things to hold back the message of eternal life from these people. I don't care who they are or where they come from. I don't care what they're into. They need to know me. That is the heart of God. The gospel is for all men. That God desires that none should perish, that we might know him. That is the heart of God. That he spilt his blood for all. He offers salvation to all. Do all receive salvation? No. Does Jesus have enough grace for any person, any walk of life? Does he have enough grace to cover their sin, to remove their sin, and to save them? Absolutely. Because the power of Jesus' blood. And so we see this first, like, kind of vignette. I love that when we're talking about this, we're talking about the world, but yet we have these vignettes of individuals. Right? No? You guys know what a vignette is? Me neither. Sounds like uh, a salad dressing. We have this like zoom in (laughs) vinaigrette. (laughs) Are you with me? Are you okay? It's hot in here. I know. Some of you are looking at me like, you lost me at Theocentric. Are you okay? Everyone cool? Is there stuff in my teeth? You can't see my teeth because of my mustache. But are you with me? Everyone okay? Say it out loud. Okay. I'm going like a million miles a minute. And I know that because I (laughs) I just don't want to. I didn't want to sound stupid, but now I do. I am realizing it. The gospel is for all people. And why is it so important? Guys, we, we talked about it at the men's study on Tuesday night. Paul talks about a gospel of man. draws a distinction. There's a gospel of men, and there's a gospel of Jesus Christ. There's lots of gospels of men right now. There's the gospel of, of education. There's the gospel of sexual liberation. There's the gospel of... Uh, you name it. There's, there's the gospel of socialism. There's the gospel of socioeconomical fairness. There's the gospel of uh, uh, CrossFit. There's the gospel of essential oils. There's, a, there's the, and, and, what, and I'm not saying that essential oils or CrossFit are wrong. By all means, go ahead. Have fun. But, but here's what I am saying. The gospels of men The whole idea behind the gospel of men is that if we could just treat the outside, if we could just treat these symptoms, then that will change humanity. Right? If we could just get everyone, if you look at the gospel of education, if we can educate everyone like we are, then we can all ascend into this utopian society, then we all think alike, we all vote alike. Ah, utopia, we made it. If we all had just, just sexual liberation, like sleep with whoever you want, like love is love, blah, blah, blah. And then why do we have all these things? It's so Victorian and prude and blah, blah, blah. Why do we have to deal with all this? Just let the kids, let the children know what's going on with their bodies and all this 
crazy, crazy garbage. Do you know that that's a gospel? And people are preaching and evangelizing towards that. But here's the thing. Those gospels treat an outside symptom of an inward problem that could only be changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the difference. And that is why the church is not simply a, a, um, it's not simply a nonprofit to help people. The church is a Christ-centered entity that at its core preaches the gospel because nothing else will change a life like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guys, that is the mission. That is the goal. Jesus came to this woman at the well, and she's got so many problems, and he doesn't address any of them except the one that would send her to hell. He doesn't say, why don't you just become a Jew? Like, go, and everyone's doing it. Become a proselyte. Why don't you get religiously on the right path? Why don't you uh, stop sleeping with all these men? Like that, and just like, be a good person, although he addresses her sin. I'm getting ahead of myself, way ahead of myself. Here we go, back to my notes, but the mission of God, right? He comes to her and he says to her, give me a drink. She's not offended. She's not like, how rude. She's shocked that he would talk to her, let alone drink from the same cup as her. There's, this guy made this point, and I, I've never, I've read this story a bajillion times, Right? Over and over and over. By the way, that's one way to understand the Bible. Keep reading the same passage over and over and over. If you don't understand what it says, keep reading it until you do. Really slowly, just like you would any other thing that you don't understand. Anyway, that's just for free. But when, when he comes to her, he comes to her in need. He doesn't have a rope and he doesn't have a bucket. He doesn't have anything to draw with. And she's like, it's the desert. Everyone has a rope in a bucket. Like you need those things to survive. And Jesus comes to her, not with like, I have all that you need. He comes to her and he says humbly, can you help me? He, he just comes so humbly under the radar and says, we both here have a need. I'm thirsty, I got nothing to drink with. I, I got nothing to draw with. Can you help me? So suddenly the threat level, just threat level midnight goes way down. <laughs> Some of you just woke up, you sick, twisted people. All right, no, just kidding. She's not offended, but she's shocked. Jesus makes himself vulnerable to rejection here. She can say yes or she can say no the same way that Jesus offers himself to mankind. But in, the, in this text, you see that Jesus is wearied from his journey, his, his humanity. But when he speaks to her, then, then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me? And she says, don't you understand that there's racial tension between us? Don't you understand, like, this doesn't happen. Not only am I a Samaritan, but I'm a woman. And the, the, the Talmud, or the uh, Mishnah, which is the spoken um, Jewish law, I should have wrote this down, said that men that would talk theology with women for too long were from the devil. Like they would be sucked away into this. Like, so this didn't happen. So when he begins to talk with her, she's like, this, does, this is not okay. Like, you don't know, are you not from here? Obviously, you don't know what's going on here. But Jesus just begins to speak with her. And for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, and Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She begins to go over like 
first of all, their history, she's, she can, is very concise. And she says, for this, the last 700 years, we've had bad blood. We don't mix. We don't deal with each other. What are you doing? But notice the we, the we, notice the way that Jesus segues to the spiritual. And she's going to stay in this physical wavelength. But this is the way, the Jesus way of witnessing. This is genius. You notice that, that he's simply just everyday thing. Like, I'm thirsty. Can you give me a drink of water? And she's like, don't you understand what I'm talking? He's like, you know what? If you knew who I was, you would be asking me for living water. And, and you'd never thirst again. And she's like, what? What happened? Jesus took something very normal and everyday, and he looked for a way to bring the gospel in. That's the way of witnessing with Jesus. And, and the only way that we catch that is if we understand that we're on mission every single day. That if you go to, if you go to your local coffee shop, and you're like, man, this coffee is hot. Not as hot as hell's going to be. No, that's a, that's, a, that's a terrible segue. It's horrible. Bad way of witnessing. But, but every day... How many of you have the same barista? Maybe. You see the same people. You don't have to raise your hand. I do. And her name is Lacey or whatever. Um, how many of you have the same people? You go in the same place, same time. Do you know that's not, if you think about it, like, isn't that what witnessing is? It's relational witnessing. It's relational. It's, it's on mission for Jesus that God puts you the same people in your path, not so that you could just be blessed by what they give you in your hand. You're like, this is so great. They make it perfect. It's so that you would be a blessing to them because you have something way more valuable. You have something way more valuable. And that is the gospel. You're armed with that. You're armed with that and you're empowered. Listen, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that lives in us. So if you're like, I don't know if I can do this. Yes, you can. Not because you're awesome, but because Jesus is awesome. That is the way that Jesus witnessed. He's just, he's walking up to this one. I got no bucket. And she's like, do you know this is how crazy? Here, here, we're going to segue right here to something spiritual. You need living water. I knew a guy who used to dumpster dive with the homeless. He was a pastor of a church, and he loved to go dumpster diving with these guys. He would jump in there, and he would go through bottles and cans, and he just loved it. He knew every homeless guy in his town. The guy named, his name was Jeff Alloways. He was the coolest guy, ex-cop, wonderful human being. He became a pastor later in life, and he used to go dumpster diving with homeless people in his, in his neighborhood. And every bottle would have that CRV on it, right? And he would tell them about Christ's redemptive value. And you're like, dude, that's so cheesy. Who cares? How awesome is that? Their whole life is in this physical place. Like, I just need cans and bottles so that I can use it to get whatever I need. And he says, you don't understand. Christ's redemptive value is you. Like, you, the blood of Jesus counts you as valuable, and Christ redeems you. Like, who does that? Someone whose mind is set on the mission of Jesus Christ. I'm way off my notes. I'm lost. I have no idea where I am. But verse 11, we're just going to go back to the text. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And he's like, duh. And the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? She notices he's ill-equipped to draw water, much less provide living water. She's like, you don't have a bucket, dude. And you're telling me, like, 
right? He's thirsty, like, give me a drink. And then she says, you, like, it's just funny. It's a funny interaction. And Jesus, if if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink. And she's like, you can't even bring your own bucket. Like, who's the one who's, like, you're ill-equipped, sir. What do you mean? How are you going to provide for me? (laughs) She understands that he's talking about a water source or a spring that is coming up from the ground. And it keeps flowing. It never ends. And she says, you don't even have a bucket. How are you going to provide living water? Where is this spring? Like, are you greater than Jacob? And the answer is yes. But often people approach God this way. We put human limitations on an all-powerful God, and we see God as finite instead of infinite. Example, remember Lazarus when he died, Mary said, Lord, if you had been here physically, if you had just showed up when I told you to, my brother would not have died. And he, he tells her, if you believe, anything is possible. And she's like, Lord, I, I believe like we'll all raise from the dead at some point at the second coming of Jesus or the second coming of the Messiah. Like I understand theologically in my head that someday we'll all rise. And he says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus, come forth. She puts human limitations on an all-powerful God. Another example are the disciples when the multitude was getting hungry. Remember, they're saying, Jesus, send the people away to buy food. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And <laughs> I, didn't, I don't, I can't, I don't, this is a bad idea. Um, I know you're like super smart and like know the law and stuff. But like here, 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 we have to eat bread or whatever. <laughs> okay, like, I feel like they came at Jesus like he was a toddler. Like, oh, he's got low blood sugar again. Like, we got to, you know, like, come on, Jesus. Like, he's talking crazy. And Jesus began to break bread and multiply it and fed thousands. I don't know about you, but if you ever use the phrase, like, how are you going to do this? We don't have, and you just fill in the blank. Like, God, how are you going to do this? We don't have, fill in the blank. Or it's not enough. If we just had a wheelbarrow, now that would be something. Yes, there you go. Princess Bride. Um, you're my new best friend. Okay, so moving on. So often, like, that's the case, right? That's the case. Like, God, if we only had, like, this, then we could do something. And God's like, where were you when I created the universe? Like, if only you had been here to help me. Man, I would have got it done a lot faster than six days. <laughs> and we suddenly realized, like, oh, that's right. God, you're God. Like, this is your mission. This is your goal. This is your world. And I'm just here. I'm just here. We put human limitations on an all-powerful God. In verse 13, It says, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give uh, will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of living water springing up into everlasting life. Are you seeing the mission of Jesus unfold? He went to a specific place at a specific time. This woman would not have been here normally. But because of the type of woman and the type of sin that she was involved in, she would wait till the hottest part of the day at the hottest time of the year, and that's when she would go and draw water. Women normally would come in the morning. 
And they come as a group to help each other get water on the, you know, the pots on their head and load the camels and like get everything back. And they would help each other. Here she is alone because she had five husbands and the man that she was living with was not her husband. And she was ashamed of herself. And the people made sure she knew that she should be ashamed of herself. So not only did she have racial barriers, not only did she have um, religious barriers, she had a relational and sin-based barrier in her life. And Jesus sought after that one. He broke through all of those things to find her and to speak to her. And what he reveals to her is that everything that you're seeking, it doesn't satisfy He tells her, it's not going to satisfy. Living water is what you need. This world and its appetites, he tells her, it cannot satisfy. You're going to thirst again and again. And these physical appetites can't be satisfied. Warren Wiersbe said, these are the people in hell who cry out, I thirst. Because they have not experienced the living water. And Jesus cried out from the cross, I thirst. And the one who gives living water was thirsty so that you would never have to be spiritually. This woman, man, it's such a fascinating little story. The interaction is so quick, but she gets it, and man, she realizes who, she, who, he's, who he is, and she goes and tells everybody about it. Suddenly, when she receives the blessing of this information, right, she says to him in verse 15, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come near to draw, or come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband. He says, first of all, okay, first, before we deal with any of this living water stuff, I want you to go and tell your husband. And she's like, well, that, I mean, he's not really going to, do I have, we don't have to deal with that. Before Jesus is, he's seeking after them, what, first of all, to rid them of sin. We're going to deal with this issue right here because this plagued her whole life. And nothing else around her, no no amount of of physical outside reform or basically uh, uh, like a reformation of lifestyle was going to change the inside. She needed to be reborn. So before she goes, he says, call your husband. And the woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said. That is true. I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. (gasps) Oh, no. (laughs) He knows. Like, who have you been talking to at this well? Um, But notice that Jesus just puts his finger right on the sin. Not to condemn her. Not to be like, you little, let's baptize you 50 times in this well (laughs) right now. You little. But what happened? Remember, she says, like, give, like, go. Like, if you have it, give it to me. Like, I'll take it. She's seeking freedom from shame. What did Jesus come to do? He came to seek those who were so ashamed of themselves and so caught in the cycle of sin, they'd be free from the cycle of sin, free from the, the, the shame of it. She says, I don't want to have this shame anymore. She was as low as you could go. Not only was she a Samaritan, but she was an immoral woman. And so she was despised by her surrounding culture and by her own people. But she wasn't going to settle for talk. Like She's like, yeah, men talk all the time. They say all sorts of things. And you know, we're not going to talk anymore. If you have water, give it to me. I'm not going to settle for that anymore. 
And her, short, her shortest response is, I have no husband. This is the shortest thing she said in this whole text. She's like, we'll see, we worship on this mountain and all this stuff. And he's like, go get your husband. I don't have any husband. That is true, but that's not the whole truth. Man, it hurts. Like this, this text sometimes hurts when you read it. You're like, man, why is Jesus so brutal? Because like, we read it in our tone of voice, and you're like, well, you have no husband. <laughs> that's how I read it. For my kids, you have no how to make it all. Well, no, just kidding. I don't read this story to my kids. But <laughs> why would Jesus do that? Like, why would Jesus bring her this sinful past, like, out into the open like that? Why would he, like, project it on a wall for her and be like, you have no husband? Like, she's like, this hurts. Does he leave her in that spot? No. But there could be no conversion without conviction. The hard-packed soil of the heart is plowed open by conviction so that the seed of the gospel can take root. And Jesus brings her sin out of the shadows into the open. Notice she didn't have to tell him anything about it. He already knew. And so she confesses, yes, this is true. You're absolutely right. Jesus brings it out into the open but so that she can be forgiven of it. She can see her sin for what it is and to see her need for forgiveness. But also, that when he forgives her and saves her, she will know it's not because he only knew half the story about her. He's, she's not going to have in the back of her mind, like, am I really saved? Because if Jesus knew, like, all of the details, there's no way. So I struggle. Like, am I really saved? Maybe you can relate to that. Like, you struggle. Like, like somehow God doesn't see sin in your life and you're like if he knew like dude I don't know if I'd really be saved he knows and he saved you from your sin past present future to give you a new kind of life he knows it all and he loves you the same he loves you the same so listen there's no shame when it comes to you and Jesus you don't have to be ashamed um, he knows everything about you and he still loves you, and he still wants to save you. She's kind of deflects this whole thing and talks about some kind of religious issue. She's like, our fathers worship on this mountain, and, and so on and so forth. So she deflects. But look at verse 23. Jesus says, but the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell, all things, tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Suddenly, they get in this little like debate over where there is to worship. She starts talking like religion. And, and she's like, well, someday it will all get worked out. And the Messiah will come and everything will get worked out between us. And he says... That's going to get worked out right now. I am he. Jesus came to seek after this woman with all of her different barriers, all of her different things that were up. And Jesus says, we're not going to allow this to stop the gospel because everyone deserves a chance to hear about Jesus and the opportunity to receive him. That is the mission of God. And the rest of the chapter is quite lengthy and I won't get to it if we were to keep going, it would be like seven hours. 
But understand that what happens next is that she goes into her hometown and she begins to tell everybody. She's like, come and see the man who's told me everything I have ever done. Like, you guys got to meet him. And notice now, she's not ashamed. She's going everywhere, telling everyone there's no shame anymore in her life. And look at verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritan had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Guys, we have to see ourselves in this, in this woman. In the sense that we, because of our sin, have separation between us and God. Sin separated us from a relationship with God. Jesus came. He saw after you and I, broke through every barrier so that you might know him, and he saved you. And in the same way that Christ was sent to do that is in the same way that we are sent to do that for others. To seek after, to pray for. One of the ways that we seek after people is to pray for them. Pray for them just lobbing prayer bombs in their direction that God would work and minister in their life and we're going to pray and we're going to pray and we're going to pray and we're going to speak and we're going to love and we're going to show grace and we're going to show mercy because that is what God has sent us out into the world to do. That we might preach the gospel because that is what Jesus did. He sought after the marginalized that he might save them and bring them into his family. She's talking about, like, I, we're, not, we're not even supposed to be in the same room. We're not even supposed to talk to each other. And Jesus would later say, those who do the will of the Father, they are my brother. They are my sister. They are my mother. Like, those who do the will of God, they're brought into my family. No longer any barriers, nothing separating us. We are one. Insane. But that is what the gospel does. And so, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That is the mission of God. And may we have our minds switched on to begin to live into the mission that God has called us into. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for... Um, I thank you for the gospel. Lord, I thank you that Jesus came. He lived a life that we couldn't, a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. He shed his blood that we might experience the remission of sins. Lord, the forgiveness of our sins, not by anything that we do, but because we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And Lord, like no other message, that one changes us. That one has the ability, Lord, to change our hearts, to make us new. And so, Lord, in the same way that when we received it, Lord, either long ago, weeks ago, days ago, or tonight, Lord, may that same passion for the gospel burn in our hearts. Lord, that you not only sought after us, but then, Lord, you call us into a life of mission with you that you are seeking people and God, you're laying them on our heart even now. Those that we need to pray for, those that we need to lift up to the Lord for their salvation. Because Lord, you love them and you, you wanna save them. You wanna save them. And so Lord, I, I ask for your forgiveness tonight. I know it, it's easy for me to preach this and shout into a microphone for an hour about doing it. But Lord God, give me the, give me the power to do it. 
Lord, give me the, the, the power to live with, with my eyes, not on myself, but my eyes, like you say to, to the woman or to your disciples, you tell them, look at the harvest fields. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off, off of, of your present need and look at the harvest field. God, I pray you would help us tonight to get our eyes off ourself and to look at those around us who are in need of the gospel. And so, Lord, we love you and we, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.